What's your favorite streaming service? Was it Prime, Netflix, Disney? Or maybe you prefer streaming YouTube videos more than anything else. Or maybe you're a gamer and you play live online multiplayer games. And of course, today, even the biggest sporting events in the entire world are streamed live. The way that we consume content today has meant that organizations, that's content creators and service providers, have had to come up with ways to deliver high-quality and real-time content over the public internet down to the device that's in my hand. CDNs, or content delivery networks, have largely solved this problem, as have some of the largest content creator organizations themselves. And today, as we focus more on live stream content, they're at it again to solve the technical challenges of delivering high-quality live content on the public internet to wherever you are in the world. So with me today is Nina Bargason, a subject matter expert in the service provider and CDN spaces, a prolific writer and speaker, and an experienced engineer and network planner designing the very solutions that we use to get our content. So we'll be talking about CDNs, why they exist, how they work, and what the future holds for content delivery. My name is Philip Gervasi, and this is Telemetry Now. Hey, Nina, thank you for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Uh, I know that you have a very extensive background in this particular topic, so I'm really interested to, to, to chat with you about content delivery network, CDNs. Uh, but before we get in, especially from a, you know, a technical perspective, I do want to hear a little bit from you about your background in the space and in networking and technology in general. Can you give us a little bit of that? Yeah, sure, Phil, and, and thank you for having me. Um, it's... Uh... It will be a pleasure, I'm sure, to, to chat. So, um, honestly, I'm all self, self-learned, what you call it. I, I lack the English word for that. Um, but basically, I started out working in telco and technology like t- a couple of decades ago. And I started out as a project manager. And then I did the opposite of what most people did at that time where they went from some technical role and then they needed to grow and do something else and they turned into project managers. I did project management and then I was like, this fucking sucks. I am not good with keeping track of people and I mean, I can talk to people and make them work, but then writing all the summaries and and uh, yeah, no, not for me. So I wanted to be I wanted to be more uh, one of the tech people who did the cool stuff, you know, because a project manager is a facilitator and that's a great role. It's really good. Um, but I wanted to get my fingers in. So I started asking people, hey, how does this work? This IP thing, what's that about? And eventually I ended up working as a network planner, um, managing all of the in traffic on an ISP's backbone, doing traffic engineering with BTP, handling all the peering relationships, debugging, why, why is one of these customers' office in India sending some of their traffic one direction around the world and some of their traffic another direction around the world? This doesn't make sense. What the fuck is happening? And then realizing it was due to how Tata was traffic engineering and load balancing over two different transits where... The prefix where their van connection 
came from was routed one way and their land was routed another way and and shit just got messed up yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was yeah um and then um as an network planner we go into in particular why i know a bit about how cdn works um at some point when you run an access network at at some point in the uh, early 2000s mid 2000s cdn shows up right and then you first you have the akamai then you have google you have youtube shows up we all remember how youtube grew so very very fast and then the video on demand services netflix starts launching all over the world and um, we figured out that we needed to we needed to do this right so so basically, I spent uh, a year or so on, on researching how, how is the CDNs that we are putting into our networks, how are they working, how should we deploy them inside our network, what should the longer-term plan be. And when I did that, I realized there was a lot of limitations and a lot of assumptions that you make when you just look at it from the material they give you and, and your thoughts about how this works. Oh, user go to the nearest server. Right. That sounds great. I'll just put servers all over and that dinner will work. And then you realize, uh, oh, there's a, there are methods and there are reasons and there are definitions of what the nearest server is. And it's not always doing what you wanted it to do unless uh, you really know. So realizing that you need a really good understanding of A, how each CDN works and B, how is your network designed and what is the architecture? Not just with... Uh, the connectivity or the topology, which have been my focus, but also your name servers, your IP address plan, your planning, your aggregation, all of that shit. And, and, and then you run into things like security as well. It's sort of like, oh, you can't do that because, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, we can't announce more specifics. But, but we need it. And but no, 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 no. We have put all this security in place to make sure that we're not announcing more specifics. But then this shit doesn't work. Oh, and then you had to debate for three months to get a permission to write specific policies to announce to the uh, to the servers inside your network uh, and announcing more specifics there. And and then you realize, oh, oh, you can't do this because all the prefixes are tagged with no export and shit. So it's so so yeah. It was a long journey, but eventually we. We, we got there, but, um, and I learned a lot. Yep. Yep. That's the self-taught part, right? You learn a lot by doing, I think that's, that's probably what you meant, right? That you, uh, you, you on the job, but also being self-taught and, um, looking for the materials that you need to, uh, be successful at the project that you're working on that day or that month or that year. And then you add that to your body of knowledge and then move on. So I, I kind of feel like a lot of my career was haphazard like that. Not, not that to say that yours was haphazard, but sometimes oh, I feel yes. like mine. Oh, fuck yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Good. We're on the same page. Well, yeah. I, I got like a, I got a, a VXLAN project and a data center deployment. I'm like, I never configured VXLAN before. I guess I'm learning that now. And, 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 and then such went my career for many years. And then by the end of a decade, it's, you have this body of knowledge. And of course, hopefully you're using that, that yeah. knowledge over and over again. So it's valuable. Sometimes no. Like I figured, um, you know, OTV in a data center once and that was it. That's the Cisco proprietary uh, overlay. Never used it again. 
So there are those. But uh, yeah, the, the, the security conversation that you mentioned, yeah, I've had those. That sounded very reminiscent where security is like, you can't do this. Well, nothing works if we don't do that. Well, you know, and then you have this tension and you go back and forth forever, uh, especially when I think, uh, you know, there's that balance between policy of least privilege, I get it, and then, you know, trying to only permit the traffic that, you're, that, you, that you want to permit and, and all of that. So there's that balance. But then working sometimes with, with security folks that don't have a super strong technical understanding. And so that it was sometimes yeah, a hard conversation. No, I, I, so you know. I actually, that specific part I did not relate to because we did have some very, very good and strong engineers that were also yep. handling uh, the security. So I think, so what I had to do with them to, uh, to, um, to win this discussion or to, to get to do what I wanted us to do, I had to go, I had to do the money talk because we, we were looking at, we were basically just looking at how we're building our network. I mean, and we were using big iron, as we called it back then, right? You know, big, expensive routers, lots of features. Because we were running a multi-service network, we had, we had important traffic, we had less important traffic, we had... Uh, we, we, you know, we were running a voice, uh, we were moving voice, we were moving TV, like uh, the cable TV were being moved on to run on the IP backbone, still going out in their closed circuit mm-hmm. to the sort yep. of the TV, yep. uh, cable TV thing, not, not running as IP TV yet, but, but the transport layer was moved away from the dedicated lines onto the IP backbone. So we had a, we had a lot of traffic on the backbone mm-hmm. that, that we needed to make sure that it was high up time and all that shit. And then we had all the over-the-top video. And we were like, well, we're building an expensive backbone. but we, So we don't want this traffic on it because we know our customers want their traffic. But we also knew that we couldn't sell, we couldn't get paid. We were too small to ever win that debate. And, and honestly, also, we, we did not want to, but, you know, our managers wanted to. But just, no, not, not, not going to happen when you're network that size. So you coming from the service provider space, uh, very, very focused on the service provider space as far as content delivery, which makes sense because that's what CDNs run on, you know. Um, but ultimately, it's it's the idea of traffic engineering and making sure that the services are being delivered the way they're supposed to be delivered, which which is different than probably some in our audience who come from an enterprise engineering background. Um, like traffic engineering is you you do that to an extent, but you're not necessarily engineering a you know a backbone at a, at a, even a large enterprise necessarily. Um, and, uh, and, and you mentioned the word access network. You know, that, that term is used differently. So what, is it, what does an access network on the service provider S, uh, CDN space mean? So actually, I think it's one of those terms that can mean so many different things. So if you're working, if you're working, if you're working at the service provider, right, and ac- the access network, that is, that's basically after IP. So that's where IP stops. So that is that is the that is the last mile. I think call, people would call it as well. So that's a line from okay. like the yeah. GPON or the BRAS or the MAST. Um, so it's a, a radio network from a mobile provider. That would be the access network. Uh, all mm-hmm. of the DSL lines back when we were using DSL, and now it's the fiber and the GPON and the whole 
fiber access network out to um, out to the consumers. And then that that network is connected to the to the IP level that goes. And then you have an aggregation layer or metro layer, and then you have your core backbone or your core, your backbone. Um, that's one way of using it. Yep. As soon as you start working in the CDN space, where where I also where I went after working at the service provider or at the at the access network I was working at, then you think at a network that connects consumers or connects end users, because it can be businesses as well, is an access network because it provides access to the internet. How, how does uh, how does enterprises uh, what does access network mean for them? Well, it's the same. It's the same general idea, uh, but like like the access layer in a three-tier design, right? The access layer is where end users actually plug into the into the uh, the campus. So it really is the same thing logically, uh, except that instead of um, these autonomous networks, right? Or not, when I say autonomous, I mean like an ASN, but like these large organizations, like an entire campus accessing the provider network, it's a literal individual person <laughs> accessing by plugging into a, into a jack or connecting over the air or whatever it happens to be, or a server connecting into a, into a switch. So it's the same idea. And, uh, and, and, and there are technologies and methodologies that go along with that. So it's not as simple as plugging something in. And I'm sure, you know, in the service provider world, it's the same. It's, you know, preventing layer two loops and broadcast storms and thinking about spanning tree and things like that, which you still have to think about in, in a campus um, uh, with, with devices that are spitting out bad traffic sometimes, you know. So. You know, because when you build like a metro network, that was uh, at least back when I was working, that was typically a, a, a an Ethernet network. It was, you know, fiber running Ethernet natively on, on top of that. And so you would be, they, you, you would be thinking about um, all that kind of layer two shit that I actually don't know a lot about. I know, you know, you have to. Spanning tree, I remember that one, you know, broadcast. Right? There's a broadcast going on in this bar, and then, you know somebody had to run and 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 do something about it because it was knocking off customers. Yeah, and as I progressed in my career, uh, I did focus on on layer two less and less. I do think that a lot of people think maybe it's less sophisticated networking, and I and I get that because you're not doing the cool like traffic engineering and stuff like that. But uh, but that is the point at which people connect to the network and, and utilize it and consume those services. So it is it is mission critical. And I think you just you do yourself a disservice if you mm -hmm. think that Ethernet is simple. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's so many things that that you know the idea seems simple, but 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 if you look at the internet, we have the internet. You know, if you look at IP, you know, it's just you go from A to B, every individual router has their own table, they look up and they go. It sounds like a simple, a simple thing. But we have people, we have a lot of people making a living on doing research on what the fuck is going on on the Internet. Because we build a really, really complex animal that nobody can understand all in their head because of how... Um, distributed all the intelligence in the network is. Oh yeah, yep. So, um, so it's, I, I find that fascinating and a little bit the same with Ethernet. When you dive into it, it's sort of like all this communications and 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 signals that go on all the time, and and it's like, ugh, yeah. Yeah, we don't really deal with that day to day as engineers. You know, serialization, how uh, you know a computer actually turns information into plus and minus voltages on an actual wire 
or how some of that gets converted to radio frequency and sent over the air. And there's a there's an entire realm of physics that we don't really deal with very much as network engineers, but it's absolutely critical for the proper functioning of networking. I guess there is a little bit uh, like for well, if I have to decide on what kind of fiber optic cable to use, you know, maybe having an understanding of how the light travels over the wire might help. But otherwise, yeah, it, it's really intriguing stuff to me. Very, very much so. I don't think anybody in our business can be successful if they never heard of the OSI model mm-hmm. and uh, don't understand it. Yeah. Right? Because you, you, you will then, unless you're like really very intuitive and, and lucky, you'll never be able to debug anything if you can't do it systematically from layer to layer because, you know, if the... If the lowest layer doesn't work, it doesn't matter all all the debugging you'll do on three layers up, right? Well, I mean, I, when I was troubleshooting issues, I always started at the DNS layer. That's my joke. That's my joke for the podcast. <laughs> Does DNS work? And then the second one is, um, is the power plugged in? Did you plug your computer in? So why did CDNs, CDNs, excuse me, why did CDNs develop in the early 2000s, like you were saying? Is it because... You know, IPTV became a thing. Is it because the technology allowed it? Or is it because these companies, like you mentioned Akamai, and then, of course, I know you were with Netflix for a long time, they developed something and they wanted, there was a demand for better quality? You know, which came first and why did that happen all of a sudden? Because it really did, in the span of just a few years, become a thing. Yeah, so um, it happened, it happened because uh, there, I think it happened because there was a demand for faster connectivity. Like there was a demand for, I mean, I remember, you know, remember going on the internet back then, right? You know, you would first, you would have to wait for the modem to call up. You have all the weird sounds going beep, beep, beep. And then if you were looking at, at a photo, you would, you were waiting for it to load from the top. I mean, it's always been fascinating yeah. how it was from the top. Um, you know, and after some time, that's just not fun anymore, right? Uh, so people realize that yeah, you need you need faster delivery, and and we were all wrong about fifty six k being enough for everyone. You know, who was it? Was that that was Bill Gates, right? So like, don't see how anybody can need more than, I and I don't even remember if it was fifty six k or if it was some other bandwidth he was mentioning, but it was yeah. hilarious, and we've been laughing of it since, right? Um, no, so it was the it was the demand for richer content. Mm. The the idea uh, or realizing that if you put richer content out there, more people would watch, and then realizing okay, we need to do better with the richer content, and we can't really do that if we serve we are waiting for that picture to be replicated from a server in the. In, 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 in San Jose when the user is sitting in France, right? We, we don't want, mm-hmm. it's not, right. not going to work. So we have to figure out a way of doing that better. So they, come up, they came up with the idea. And, and, and it was those brilliant folks whose name I always, always forget um, uh, at Akamai who came up with the algorithms, right? Who came up with the two important things, um, to think about when you when you want to try and replicate um, uh, rich content and put it closer is like, well, how do we figure out where which files should go? 
And how do we figure out a way of making sure the consumer of the content gets to the closest? And that's basically the idea of a CDN, because that is what a CDN is. You want to put files somewhere, but you need to figure right. out how to put them there, and you need to figure out how to get the consumers of the files to the right file. Now, is it the geographically closest location? Is that always the case, or is it? could it be the location? It might not be as close, but it has better latency? See, that's the whole thing, because I'm, I'm being vague in this definition, because as CDNs have evolved over time, the different CDNs have come up with different ways of defining the closest. And it will always, you, you always have to take into account, well, what is the method of the end user to get to the server? And what is the method of how do you identify uh, the requester of some content? And how can you tell the, the requester where to go? And what is yeah. the metric you have to look at? So we went from, uh, you know, what, what Alchemy did uh, and still do, going, well, the end user is using this DNS server, and this DNS server belongs to, or everybody using this DNS server belongs to this CDN server um, as a method of defining closest and directing yep. uh, uh, where it should go to today with the very advanced uh, CDNs um, are measuring, constantly measuring latency, method of reaching the end user, um, like is it transit, peering, uh, embedded into the end user's CDN, uh, not CDN, ISP, along with a whole set of, of quality um, KPIs that they might be looking at. And then deciding based on that, hey, end user, you're going to go to that server to get your content. So the idea is the same, but closest is, is just defined by many more parameters today than it did back then. And so does a, uh, are, are, are CDNs monitoring the quality of connection, quality of the service delivery to the actual end user, to like me in my, in my house, or are they to like the local CO or to a region or, or things like that? What are they monitoring specifically? That's, uh, that depends on the service they're serving. Really? Wow. And also on the, on the CDN. So, and, and different CDNs do it differently, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so if we take, if we take a service like, like Facebook, uh, and also some of the more general CDNs have been around for a long time who have a lot of different services that they're, they're serving. Typically, they would be monitoring uh, the quality to the, the resolver that you're using, right? Because they're still using resolvers as mapping, mapping you. So there would, be, there would be sort of equalizing connectivity and quality of network to the resolver with the end users that are using this resolver. Right, right. But if you look at a CDN as Netflix that's serving videos, but where they have an end-to-end -end control, so they have a client who knows stuff, that client is still working pretty simple, but it, it is, that is monitoring, well, how fast am I playing? So that is the bit rate of the file it is playing. And how fast am I, am I downloading the next segment of that, of that stream? And if it's playing faster than the download, the next time it asks, it will ask for a lower bit rate. 
and it will go up again and it, it has a it has a it has a recipe of which bit rates they should ask for when going up and down mm-hmm. depending on the device that the client is playing on uh, so there you have some intelligence in the client defining and measuring um, what is going on on the network but here very simply and very very specialized just looking at what am I playing and how fast am I downloading the next segment to mm-hmm. Other streaming technologies could be uh, Psy, which is what Prime Video is using for their live events, okay. where the Psy technology, the Psy server, is constantly monitoring or evaluating or estimating the, the bandwidth to the client. And again, here we're talking to the client. Again, they're client-based. They have end-to-end control. Uh, so they can do measurements from the closest edge server to the client. And then based on that, deciding which bit rate the stream that is pushing out to that client uh, will have. So again, very specialized, but depends on the application and the content that you're consuming. Uh, but there's no need to do be that advanced when you're just downloading a fo- uh, uh, pictures for your website uh, sure, right. or on-demand video or ads or whatever it is, right? Uh, yeah, there's no real-time component to that. It's, it's exactly. image, pixels, exactly. right? Yeah. 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 So I remember, I remember it used to be that the content creator wasn't necessarily also the CDN, whereas today you've mentioned some names of CDNs that are also creating the content themselves. So have they taken ownership of that because they just wanted to have that control or maybe because they're just so big they can do it themselves and it's cheaper? I mean, why, why has that shifted as well? So it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a good question. So as I see it, it is that some content and some content providers became big enough that it made sense for them to build their own and they were specialized enough to build right. their own. Yeah. I remember that Google and Google Cloud started out just by new YouTube servers that were mm-hmm. placed around in, into uh, ISP's network. But they have managed to really build on that and is now having a big business, uh, you know, with Google Cloud running on, uh, on some of the same, on the same uh, uh, embedded servers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and Netflix as well is, is the poster child, I guess, also of how building a very specialized CDN just for the video delivery. We must remember right. that everything else that Netflix is doing, all the compute, all the customer um, interactions, the validations, all the security, all of that lives in the cloud. But for this one specialized part of their business, they built um, a global CDN. That's one of the biggest CDNs in the world today. But they still have to partner with providers. So when you say build a CDN, I mean, they're still co-locating resources embedded in various ISPs around the world to actually deliver it, right? Yes. So, but that's, um, huh, yeah, that's a funny way of looking at it because the way I've always looked at it is that, well, they're still part of the CDN. Mm-hmm. And the CDN... And we must remember the CDN is just the servers and a method to distribute content and a method to uh, direct uh, users to the servers, right? Right. But then Netflix built their own network. So they have routers, they have a backbone now uh, where they have a lot of their servers placed at their own locations. Mm 
And then they have the embedded solutions where they give uh, servers to ISPs and say, hey, you can put them wherever you want. We give you, we actually, they actually give them a lot of control over those servers. Right. right. Um, and, and that is also what Akamai came up with, having their own locations, but also offering ISPs, hey, you can put these where you want to put them because you know your network best. But then we will require you to, to do the physical operation of these servers, but we will, we will do the virtual uh, operation or the, the logical operation of them. So the decision yeah. to do one or the other can depend on just cost and operational expense, right? Yes, and, and, and ISPs needs to also to think about when it will make sense uh, to do one thing or the other, uh, right? Because if you have if you have an an access network, but you have five pops, and all of those five pops, there are internet exchanges and ability to connect to uh, to connect to to content through peering. It doesn't really make sense to do embedded, because it will save you nothing, but it will give you the extra work and the extra cost of having those servers sitting inside your network where you could connect to to that content for free or more free uh, than uh, than getting the servers but if you are like an access network in the uk is five seven ten years ago um you would only be able to connect to content in london and then it would make a lot of sense to get to say, yes, please, I will take some of your servers and put those in Scotland or in Manchester and in other big locations where your end users are, but there is no uh, ability to connect to any content. Right. So it all depends on the topology, the ability to peer, how widely build out um, uh, the peering um, uh, ecosystem is in where your particular network is. And ultimately, all of this is then going to be, from a technical perspective, that's all going to be unicast traffic down to an end user. Um, yes. I remember learning CCNA almost two decades ago and learning about, oh, yeah, we use yeah, multicast. Where we, I think I've I configured multicast for voice over IP applications uh, in my career. I've done that a bunch of times and build out trees that way. Um, there was like one or two other applications, one was with a ph pharmaceutical company that required multicast. Other than that, I mean, really isn't used at all no, for this application. No. Also, the same thing about, uh, you know, uh, for networks who implemented quality of service classes in the network, and they were, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to put, I remember that. So when I was at, uh, working at Netflix and we were, you know, implementing uh, servers into the network or setting up peering and they would go, yeah, no, we'll, put, we'll put the video traffic into the uh, Azure forwarding class, so, you know, because they read yeah. in their CCNA book that um, that's where video traffic belongs. And we would go, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. You need to put it in the internet class. But, 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 no, 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 because, so... Modern streaming protocols are built for, uh, for the internet. Mm -hmm. They're built to run on the internet. They work very badly if you put them in an assured forwarding class because of the drop profiles, because the short forwarding is kind of assuming that you're running it on UDP. Mm -hmm. and even though UDP is coming back into streaming for live streaming in particular, 
all of the video on demand is running on HTTP or TCP-based protocol, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many Zoom calls do we have? And the call is fine. Uh, the video is, I mean, obviously it's not super 4K, but it's fine. And the audio is just fine. And there's no delay, right? I mean, it's... So, uh, so, so, but that was, uh, that was super fun, but we want to do it so well for you. Yeah, but please don't. So the, the reason that, the reason that we moved away from QoS, like as far as campus networking and, and class of service and quality of service is, is one of the main reasons was that bandwidth was growing so fast and, and cheap. And, you know, today I, you can deploy hundred gig in an enterprise. QSFPs have come down in price. So that's not even a big deal. When I was still actually turning a wrench, hundred gig was like really fancy, but you have this incredible amount of bandwidth and, and QoS classes, those kind of things don't actually activate until there's contention. And so if you have incredible amount of bandwidth, who cares? So do you think that a lot of this has been enabled on the provider side, the content delivery network side, because of the the advancements in the, now um, well, not advancements, but in the increase in bandwidth, both in provider cores and also in, in the access network. I have gig fiber to my house, which a decade ago was unheard of to your house, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one gig fiber into my house as well, and, mm -hmm. and it's kind of low. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I never even come close to using it. I have it because I want it. There's, that's the only reason. But I got to have it because I can. Um, no, I, I think, yes. I, I mean, obviously, it's been it's been all about the, the prices of the high bandwidth been going down, 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 right? And technology, Ethernet provides us with, with uh, you know, more and more. Uh, and they keep increasing the bandwidth. Uh, just technology-wise, and you develop services that take advantage of that, right? And I think, in particular, um, in particular, the QoS going away because of just bandwidth is yeah. cheap. We might as well, but but every single engineer in the world will always also choose more bandwidth over QoS configuration. I mean. I remember when we were implementing it, it was we were sort of like it would be nicer if we could just over provision, but then us in the planning department would go, uh 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 money, 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 we can't over provision. We're gonna run the network this hot because because money yeah. and we've we've mm -hmm. we've calculated it's okay. Um, you know. So 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 that's why they were making these configuration to sort of protect the important services. But if they could just have thrown bandwidth after it, they would have done that. Yeah, there, there are real-life business constraints, the cost of upgrading infrastructure, uh, engineering, you know, all the way down to power requirements. Uh, you know, you want to upgrade devices to accommodate 100 gig, 400 gig. There are different power requirements to the device themselves. So I've done that where I've had customers that were upgrading bandwidth yeah. in their core and then out to their branch offices and stuff like that, um, and in their data center especially. And, you know, the project came to a standstill, multi-million dollar project came to a standstill because we had to then wait for the electricians to come in and then the local community to deliver more power to the to the healthcare facility. So uh, there, there are a lot of considerations just to increasing bandwidth. But it is interesting, you know, that 
as we increase bandwidth, we enable more services, like you said. I mean, increasing bandwidth doesn't solve all our problems. We can still have latency on a high bandwidth link. There can still be delays in a server responding to you that makes an application feel slow, even if you have a gig to your house. So there are certainly other considerations. Some of them network, some of them not. Yeah, yeah. I was I was just uh, I was just at a conference this week where um, I heard. <laughs> you're gonna be sad now. I heard the internet in the U.S. being described as how it was in Africa ten years ago with regards oh, really? to tromboning wow. and routing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know my regional area in the Northeast U.S. I know where my traffic goes. Uh, I'm in upstate New York, and it's going to go to either New York City or Boston. Um, and I know where other cities in the Northeast, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, I know how all that traffic in those metro areas go. But as far as the entire U.S., I'm not I'm not really sure. No, I think I, I was. I think it was uh, it was somebody from Austin who was describing how how his traffic was routed to Atlanta and then back oh, to San Jose yeah. when he was getting his, uh, yeah. some, uh, you know, his content and, uh, and, 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 and he was very sad about that. And then, you know, one of the Africa folks go, yeah, that was how we were sending traffic to Frankfurt between our networks 10 years ago. <laughs> but ultimately it is this desire to consume more services that's driving all of this, right? Now, you know, back in the, back in the day, it was, it was pictures, it is. It is. <laughs> text, right? Back in the day, it was just text. Well, you know, it was, uh, it was obviously there was, I mean, what was the biggest, um, I remember 12 years ago when I was at dinner parties and I got fed up with and I didn't want to reply to the to the so where do you work question because I would I was working at the local telco and they would start talking about their bills so I would say I work in porn because I was building the internet and the biggest servers on the internet at that time was porn it was um, you know it's 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 driven by by what people are consuming so we're building a network that can be support it, what people want to consume. So the, the very beginnings of content delivery networks uh, years ago really stemmed from the need to deliver high-quality audio and video, right, so streaming movies over the public Internet, and whatever technologies and methods were used to do that, that and that's fine. It almost feels like a, like a solved problem because today what I see the new focus being is, is live stream content. So, for example, I... I mean, every time I watch any kind of a large sporting event, it's, it's live streamed over the internet, and I'm watching it on Prime or, or whatever, um, and, and never on regular TV. And, and also, I don't play online video games, but I know that those big multiplayer online video games, that's, that's huge. Not just huge in popularity, but huge business. And so a game like, um, I don't know, like Counter-Strike, right? It's a first-person shooter game where you have to track like every single bullet coming out of those, those guns as people are playing and having their battles. And so that seems to be the new driving force for delivering content over the public internet. Am I, am I way off? It is. It is. I mean, live streaming is, uh, is big. And I, I think there's an interesting thing if we circle back to the, um, we talked about, you know, some video providers being so big that it made sense for them to build a specialized CDN for that. If you look at uh, a, a live streaming uh, provider like Prime Video, They've grown out of that model. Really? They're too big to run on their dedicated infrastructure. So they're using using all of the CDNs. And to make their events work well, 
they are not only using all of their CDNs, they are working with the individual CDNs and the individual ISPs. So, so they're not only just checking, uh, you know, that the CDN is, will work well and will do what they want and, and will support their technology, but they're even out looking at and talking both to the ISP and the CDN. So how's the bandwidth between the two of you? Yeah. To make sure that they're not running into issues with, or at least to not run into issues with connectivity mm-hmm. that is not due to them miscalculating just how popular they are. But how does that work with live streaming in particular then? Because I can't co-locate files per se. I'm not co-locating files into an ISP or into my own infrastructure. It's live from some source somewhere, like a like some kind of a sporting event or, yeah. or you know a political speech. So how how does that work? Isn't it getting it direct from the source and not really going over a CDN infrastructure? No, it's going over the CDN. So basically what happens is that they go from the source and then they send the feed up, the ingest feed up, and they have like maybe four different redundant connections to 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 where they encode, which is typically in, in one of the instances of AWS, right? So the one or the best connected one. Uh, and then from the encoding, uh, they're going down a tree through the CDN. So they hand off from encoding to the CDNs, and they hand off both to uh, to uh, to CloudFront, their AWS CDN, but also to Limelight, uh, not Edgeo, to to Fastly, to Akamai, to to everybody that they're using, um, and. Um, they're using for for their live streaming to make sure that everybody is watching the same frame at the same time, which is what you want to do when you do sports. So you're not having your neighbor cheering before you see the goal. That is so annoying. I, it has happened. Um, uh, so they're using this technology they acquired in 2020 called Psy. And what they've done is that they're working with their CDN partners. So they've provided some part of the SI stack. So they can spin up a SI instance on the CDNs they're using. And that way they're maintaining the end-to-end control of what's going on. Okay, very interesting. So everybody's watching the same frame at the same time. Um, it is being distributed. So there is a layer of, of abstraction there from the, from the source. But yeah, I, I, that to me, that's kind of where we're going is the live streaming component. Uh, you know, with bandwidth the way it is, downloading a video isn't the, the most difficult thing in the world. And co-locating video uh, in regional locations is not the most difficult thing in the world. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's a problem that's solved, right? What, what's out there now is uh, the challenge and the fun stuff is the, is the live streaming. Absolutely. So now the challenge and fun stuff is, the, yeah, the live streaming and getting it better quality. Because, I mean, I noticed that live streaming quality is a little lower than, and than downloading a video in, in 1080 or 4K. Um, and then having that audio spot on um, and all that. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to having just better and better and seeing one day when I have holograms in my living room of Star Wars or whatever I'm watching. Yeah, we get into the whole augmented uh, reality type of thing, and and then we need to get compute really to really close to where you are, and that's a whole different uh as well, where we are, but what where I think we will go deeper and deeper and deeper into uh, ISPs networks, but now with compute, and not not just uh, video files or distribution. Yeah. 
Well, Nina, this has been a really great conversation. I think we could easily easily have a part two or a part three and just talk about really any anything you want to talk about at this point. But uh, but it was a pleasure. So thank you for for joining today. If folks want to uh, reach out and ask a question about CDNs or really anything uh, technology related, how can how can they do that? Oh, they can. Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, but not really that active. So I think LinkedIn would be would be the best place or the best social network to reach me on. And they can also also write an email, old fashioned email. Um, Nina at Kentic.com is an easy thing to remember. Um, and I am actually still on IRSE. So uh, if people can find me there. Okay, very good. And you can still find me on Twitter. I am still pretty active there, network underscore Phil. Also search my name in LinkedIn. And, uh, and if you have an idea for an episode or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please reach out to us at telemetrynow at kentic.com. So for now, thanks for listening and bye-bye.